Welcome to the Sunday evening service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. In the evening services, we are going through a series just about future events, God's timetable for the future. So I encourage you to take your Bibles for another installment of that. and Let's go to Matthew, please, chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And we'll spend a few minutes together tonight in this wonderful text. Uh, really, it's in my Bible, it's entitled Signs of the End. Christ, if you need a title, Christ answers questions about end, the end times. Christ answers questions about the end times. Or signs of the end. This is a a wonderful portion of scripture known as the Olivet Discourse. Let's begin tonight by asking the Lord for his help as we uh, just unfurl what he's got for us tonight in this text. Father, thank you again for the privilege of speaking, preaching the word. I pray that tonight you would give us an insight into your own heart and our response to troublesome times that are yet ahead for this old world. We pray that we would be reminded of the song that was sung tonight, that we, we are sheltered safe, that we're secure in Christ, that no matter the worst may come, the best remains, and that is that the church will be raptured up and out and we'll spend eternity with you. Not that we won't go through some troublesome times, we will, but Lord, we're thankful for the great shepherd who walks with us in the valley of shadows and promises to take us to his eternal abode. And we pray for those in our midst tonight, Lord, that are really going through it. Uh, Many come to mind, and Lord, I pray that uh, you would be with each one of them in a special way. It's not easy to get a little bit older, and many of our folks are in that category, stage of life, and I pray that you would hold their hands. It's uh, difficult to live each day with pain, and I pray for each one of these. And then for those whose future is unsure, Lord, I pray that they would uh, just rest in the surety, the, 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 the wisdom, the sovereignty of God that cannot make a mistake. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness, your goodness to us. Help us to be reminded of that yet tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the disciples in this text are a little bit concerned. We'll have to back up before we read the first eight verses of chapter 24. Let's back up to verse 37 of chapter 23, Matthew. Oh, Jerusalem, he's saying, the Lord speaking, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children Together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, but ye would not. Behold, your house, therefore, is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Surely the disciples heard Jesus say these words, and they were troubled in their spirit when they thought about that. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, Jerusalem, Israel. And you will not see me again until you can say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now, let's turn our attention to the the response of the disciples after that troublesome news. Verse 1 of chapter 24, And Jesus went out, and he departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. Herod's temple was quite a sight. Refurbished, enlarged, was beautiful, a sight to see. And of course, the Lord knew all about it. He had designed it way back in Moses' day, and yet not as ornate as Herod had turned it into, but 
they got a tour of the temple courtyard, and Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left one left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Well, that caught them off guard. As he sat upon the Mount of Olives, which is just across from Herod's temple, uh, kind of a private meeting with the disciples, the disciples came unto him privately saying, Tell us. When shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and famines, pestilences, and earthquakes, and various or diverse places, and all these are just the beginning of sorrows. Let's read on. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another, and many false prophets shall arise, shall deceive many. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold." But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be spared or saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all the nations, and then shall the end come. I'll never forget a lady that was in our church in Wichita, Beth Eden Baptist Church, and and I remember she came in, shook up one Sunday morning, and she had a uh, kind of a smile on her face. She said, you'll never believe what happened, preacher. Uh, Last night around one or two o'clock in the morning, there was a boy just wandering through our neighborhood. I mean, he... I mean, he was waking everybody up, everybody in our little subdivision. Like, he was just yelling out, it's the end of the world as we know it. He, she said lights were coming on in windows all over the subdivision as he walked up and down each street at about one or two in the morning, hollering out, it's the end of the world as we know it. <laughs> and she came to church and she says, I'm glad to be here. I want to know, is it the end of the world as we know it? Well, the answer to that question is found in our text here, the Lord divulges from wonderful information about that. If you know anything about uh, traveling very far with little ones in your car or van, you know that you've heard that question, Daddy, are we there yet? (laughs) Is this trip about over? Well, the disciples are concerned that Jesus has said he's going on a trip and he's not coming back until everybody can say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. They have questions about that, so privately they have a meeting on the Mount of Olives We're a favorite spot, really, for the Lord to meet with His disciples. And what happens here in chapter 24 and 25 is two chapters, and they're lengthy chapters, really. And Jesus begins to answer, divulge some information about this. The context, then, is really their concern about this statement about the the temple, that it will be destroyed, that one stone will not be left upon another, and that, uh, again, that that they would not hear from Him the nation would not hear from him until he comes back and everyone can say, verse 39 of chapter 23, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Well, as you know, verse 37, backing up a bit of chapter 23, tells us that Jesus had a heartfelt plea. He came, of course, as a suffering lamb of God, and yet he wanted to be accepted as the king. They, they did reject him. In fact, the prophets he mentioned that in verse 37, you have killed the prophets that we have sent ahead of, ahead of Christ. You've stoned them that sent, were sent unto thee. And then when I came, I would have gathered you together 
uh, established the kingdom had you not rejected me, but my love and overtures towards you were rejected. And so even now, that we're talking about Tuesday of the Passion Week, in just a few days, Friday, he would be killed, slaughtered. The very people he loved. It concerned him. He said, I, I would have gathered you together as a hen gathered her chickens, her little chicks. But ye would not. You wouldn't have me. In love he sent his only son, and even Jesus could not find a reception in the heart of his people. So the Lord says, I will abandon this house. Verse 38. This house, speaking of the temple, the house of Israel be left unto you desolate. I will suspend my work with the Jews, turn my attention now to the building of my church, my bride, and you will not see me again until what? <laughs> As he's answered that question, until you can say, Blessed is the coming of the Lord. When will that happen? I have a question for you tonight. When does that happen? That really is a hinge to the next chapter. If you misunderstand when that will be, then chapters 24 and 25 can be often misinterpreted. And there are a lot of people that look at these two chapters and think that many of these things must occur before the Lord comes back to rapture His church. What is the difference between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ when he comes to set up his kingdom? We can say it this way. The rapture of the church, Christ comes, what? For his people, for his bride, in the clouds. And the second coming, he comes, what? With his people, all the way to the earth to set up his, his kingdom, his millennial kingdom. And so he begins what is known as the Olivet Discourse in chapter 24. As I mentioned, it's the week of the Passion Week, the last week, really, uh, that Christ is here before, excuse me, the week He is crucified, not the last week He's on earth, but it's the week He's crucified, and so much going on this week on Sunday, there was the triumphal entry, and even after that, He, he understands that those who were waving palm branches really didn't believe and mean in their hearts that blessed is He that cometh in the name of the Lord. He's re reminding them that really, although you said that, Israelites, you really didn't mean it. And there's a day coming, however, when I do return, and those that are truly believers will look up and say, blessed is this coming. It signals the very end, the last kingdom. Well, the question is posed in chapter 23 by the disciples who've been troubled by this prophecy about the destruction of the temple. And he says, uh, they say to the Lord, verse 3, when, a uh, couple questions here in verse 3 of 24, chapter 24, tell us. <laughs> Plainly, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? The Lord, of course, says, don't, uh, don't let any man deceive you. Take heed, be, beware that no man deceive you. Many will come claiming to be Christ. We've seen some of these occurrences happen to some, in some measure, in some degree, throughout our lifetimes. We're going to talk about that in just a moment, but um, what we're seeing here is that the Lord is beginning to set the, set the table or begin to answer these questions. What you see in chapter 24 and 25 is really the Lord setting the table for what will happen before He comes the second time with His saints to set up the kingdom, not signs that occur before the rapture. And if we understand the context of the teaching of Christ, it is about the second coming 
and not the rapture, we can clearly and most accurately really interpret what's, what, are, what is being spoken by the Lord in chapters 24 and 25 of Matthew. We've seen uh, already in our study together uh, some things that God has prophesied, and already the Lord has spent some time discussing uh, to His disciples. Uh, he's, he's already prophesied His coming death. He's prophesied, at least just hinted at, the beginning of the church. He hasn't said much about that. And nothing will really be disclosed about the church until after his ascension. So these are men who are Jewish men who are not that clued in uh, to the rapture at all. In fact, their question to the Lord is not, when are you going to come and rapture the church? They hardly knew what the church was. In fact, I doubt any of them had a clue about the church. He's hinted at it in John 14. He says, if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Where I am, there you may be also. He's speaking, I believe, there of the rapture of the church. But he hasn't really had a long sit-down talk about the church. He's talked to Peter, upon this rock, Jesus Christ, I will build my church. But we just see just little glimpses of what the church will be, that it's coming. It's not till Paul really takes the banner of the church and unfurls it that we find out about the church. So these men are not asking, when are you going to rapture the church? They're Jewish men. Their concern is what? When are you going to set up your kingdom? Because they would like, they would like to be what? Judges and rulers in the kingdom. More than once they've told the Lord. In fact, their, their relatives have picked on the Lord and say, hey, can, can my boy here, can he have a good seat in this coming kingdom? Uh, and so they were very concerned about, when are you going to come back? Where are you going? When are you going to come back? And when are you going to just... just Straighten everything out here. When's the end coming of this Roman rule? And when does your kingdom begin? Because we want good seats in your kingdom. That's really um, what their heart is. Now, by way of review, we've talked about uh, perhaps Russia's place in the future of the end times. We know that there's a time coming. We don't know when exactly, but Russia will uh, raise its ugly head against the people of God and they will march down probably with some sort of northern coalition and come against Israel. We talked about that, remember? And there we understood that God will swoop down and destroy that, uh, that attack from the north. We mentioned that a little bit. We talked uh, too about the rapture of the church for Thessalonians chapter 4. That Christ will come with a shout, the voice of the archangel, uh, and then the dead in Christ will proceed, of course, will be caught up together in the air and so shall we be with the Lord. We believe the church will be uh, outside, be raptured out of the tribulation and seven-year tribulational period. That's my position. I believe it's a conservative and a well-thought-out position. It is also the position of many godly pastors that go before. I didn't make that stuff up. I believe the church is not appointed to wrath. So we will be in glory, enjoying the Bema seat, will be judged for rewards. And then at the end of that tribulation, end of the, at the time of the tribulation, we will return with the Lord as he comes to set up his eternal reign. So that, we talked about that. Hope you remember that a little bit. And then we talked about just recently about the five kingdoms that will precede this final kingdom that the Lord sets up. And I'm going to test your, uh, just your, ability, your Bible knowledge a little bit tonight. It's just us. It's Sunday night. So see if you can remember what happened in Daniel chapter 2 in Daniel's vision. I'm going to give you the, uh, the different uh, precious metals and well, some of them aren't that precious, but the different metals, there's a metal statue made out of different metals, and each one represented a different kingdom. And in succession, they'll become less powerful, less glorious, until there's a final kingdom that will be around when 
the tribulation begins and it will signal the last ruling empire of the world before Jesus comes. All right, let me start with the first and brightest metal, gold. What kingdom did that represent? Yes, Babylon, correct. Nebuchadnezzar had the dream. Daniel had it as well by God's providence. And uh, so that was the head of gold. Though there was a silver in the, in the chest and arms. What, what empire did that um, signify? Silver. Persia. The Medes and the Persians, part of that, uh, to that uh, level, level or strata. Brass came next, the belly and the thighs of gra- bra- not grass, brass. Um, what, uh, what great empire did that signify? Greece, good. This, this section here seems to be doing very well. I'm going to turn my attention over. Then there was this, uh, the, the two legs, the trunk and the two legs, uh, out of iron. Rome, thank you for that. <laughs> you pulled, pulled it out. Very good. Rome, and then there was this, this uh, the vision wasn't concluded because there at the ankles and then into the feet and the toes, and there were ten. This is an image of a man. The ten toes were mixed with clay and iron, and this signifies the final kingdom. Anybody have an idea? And, and really, we're, if you ask, ask me about this, this time clock, it's a, really, it's a metallic time clock given to us way back in Daniel's era of what, where we're at on the God's, God's kind of prophetic time clock. We're down here at the ankles, and uh, what is the last kingdom we're kind of staging for right now? The world is staging for this last kingdom. What is it? Getting kind of quiet here. It's, it's, it's this iron mixed with clay, symbolizing the, the, these nations are trying to get together, but they're not doing a great job at it because those two elements don't mix very well. But it is the what? Revived Roman Empire. We believe that in the same area, same place, whether there is a connection again to the papal system of Rome or not, but there will be this coming together religiously and economically, and ten nations will come together, and out of those ten, the Antichrist will arise and fight the final battles against the Lord. And so we are, I think we're kind of on the ankle bone of this prophetic time clock. Well, that's where we've been in our study, and I think it's interesting as America, and I and I'm sad about this, but as America fades as a world power and world leader uh, in terms of leadership, we see that Russia is flexing its muscles. Iran is kicking around in the sandbox. North Korea, China are a bit restless. It doesn't surprise me that in Europe, that area we call Europe, there is, and it has, this hasn't just started recently, but there's been an ongoing desire in that part of the world to develop a, a, a a coalition, a unity, a coming together of smaller nation states in order to stand firm and protect their economic interest, their national interest against this this power in the north. it, It doesn't surprise me a bit. And we're seeing exciting times before us. Even before World War I, there was that European desire to, whether all kinds of different names that came together, uh, seeking to de- develop this unity among the many parts of nation states there. So we're going to see exciting times. And, and as I've mentioned before, I think it's just all fitting into God's prophecy anyway. The first thing to understand as we study Matthew 24 
is this is not a question about when are you going to rapture the church, but when are you coming back and setting up the Jewish kingdom that you've promised through David? That's what they're asking. And so it helps us to understand the church was not at this time really a part of this discussion. It was a, a big mystery. And it wasn't really revealed, as I mentioned, until after the Lord uh, went again to heaven. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, he will say of, of the mystery of the resurrected body at the rapture, Behold, Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. And what have I said about biblical mysteries? Are they puzzles we can't figure out? Or are they simply truth revealed that's been hidden before? That's what a mystery is. And so we're talking about the resurrection of the body, the rapture of the church. All these things were mysteries revealed in the epistles. So here we have a bunch of Jewish men wondering when God will end the current domination of Rome and set up His kingdom. They're asking a Jewish question about the restoration of their own kingdom. So after the tour of the temple and Jesus' declaration about its destruction, they are very uneasy in their hearts. When, how will this happen? And uh, he wanted, of course, they wanted him to immediately usher in the kingdom and set them on thrones as rulers. And uh, Jesus has got a different take on things. And I'm glad that when Jesus begins to unfurl for us the events that will precede the second coming, he gives us just enough information to keep us in a place where we are looking upward and walking in sanctification. The Lord doesn't answer these boys' question immediately and specifically in terms of, well, he didn't say this. And by the way, we were talking, some of us, uh, last week, some of the young men in church, and we're saying, why is it that God didn't just, in, in, in Genesis, give us the exact, the exact layout? Why is there signs and types? And uh, it, it took 39 books, right? The Old Testament, then we have, we, have, we have all the 66 books coming together, and little by little, God discloses his eternal plan it's a mystery that unfurls itself. And I can't answer why except to say that the Lord didn't just say to these boys, now, okay, since you asked, Titus is coming a few years from now, this general from Rome, and he's going to destroy this temple, not leave anything standing, 70 AD, and he's going to tear it up. And there's going to be thousands of you slaughtered, hung and crucified on this very mountain. This place will be devastated. And then a few years will pass and Israel will be scattered among the nations, and then in 19, what was it, 47, 48, you'll slowly come back together and build again as a nation, and then on, certain, on a certain day, I will return for the church, and a certain day, a seven, seven years later, I will come back, and that's what it's all about. He doesn't do that. How's come the Lord doesn't give us all the details? Why do you think it is that the Lord doesn't give us every single date. In fact, the Bible says, no man knoweth what? The day nor the hour except the Father in heaven. I think it's because he wants us. If there was just this big date circle on our calendars, right? Who knows when it would be? The Lord would, and he would disclose it. And we, What if it was outside of our lifetime? We would tend to say, well, that's no big deal. I'm going to live the way I want to live. I think the Lord wants to, to, to preserve a bit of a 
of a mystery about this so that we will walk, knowing that he could come back, right? At any time. And I want to just say this in terms of the immediacy. I do believe in the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means he could come at any time, right? Uh, And the reason I believe the Lord could come back at any time is that the church is not really mentioned in these two chapters. The church is not mentioned after Revelation chapter 3. The church is not appointed to wrath. So I believe there is a protection of the church throughout the last seven years of tribulation. But I, I do believe in the, the, that the Lord could come back at any time. And I, I'm thankful as you look through the pages of Scripture, you do see Paul. He says, you are to love the appearing of the Lord. And uh, he lived with this anticipation, Paul did, and some of the other writers of the New Testament, they lived with anticipation that Christ, Christ's coming was at hand. It could happen at any moment. And so I believe that's a good way to look at that in terms of uh, just the fact that the church is given this wonderful promise that we will not have to go through what is mentioned here in chapter 24. Let's read some of the things that will happen as the tribulation period begins, all right? And we can pick that up and, uh, in verse 5. For many shall come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ. We've seen many deceivers already. And you think, well, may, maybe we're already in <laughs> the tribulation. You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. We certainly see that. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, as I read before, there should be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in divers or various places. And then verse 8 gives us a clue. These are the, what, the beginning. These are the, these are the beginning of sorrows. Now, what is, what is, uh, what is the Matthew talking about? What is the Lord talking about? Uh, we've all seen this kind of, these natural disasters and these pestilences and famines throughout history. Does that mean we're already living in this end time. Is that what it means? Uh, and so we, we have to understand that there's a difference, really, between what's going to happen in the final period of trouble, which he calls here um, in verse 8, the beginning of sorrows, and then towards the end of the chapter, the end of the, really, the end of the tribulation is called the time of Jacob's troubles. And I, I'm thankful for the fact that the church isn't a part of it, but once we, once, as we understand the final seven years of tribulation, you will not kind of be mystified by what's happening. Once the tribulation begins, these events will happen with such rapidity and devastation that you will not in any way be be confused about, I say you, the world will not be confused as to whether or not the tribulation has begun. There will be no confusion about it. And so when these things happen, they will happen with such fierce rapidity, such fierce acceleration of devastation that there will be, there's never been a time like this. And so, although we've seen false Christs and wars and rumors of wars, nation versus nation, famine, pestilence, and earthquakes, these are just precursors to the big event that will come. And, uh, and I'm thankful the church isn't a part of that. We're looking upward for the upper taker. Dwight Pentecost said the doctrine of eminence 
or that Christ will return at any moment for his bride forbids the church participation in any part of the tribulation. They are absent in these two chapters, the church is. I'm glad for that. And why does he say that? Because if there are any events yet necessary to be accomplished before the rapture, it would not be imminent. Does that make sense? If there's anything still outstanding, we couldn't say, well, the Lord could come back at any moment. Are you ready? And I'm glad that even the Bible authors remind us of that as well. Take your Bibles, keep your place here, and go to James. Let James speak to that in his own upward look as far as the church goes. James chapter 5. Just go down the road a little bit on the Scripture trail. James chapter 5. I've got a new Bible, and I think they've changed where the books are. I'm just sure of it. James chapter 5, Hebrews, James. And, and just look what, uh, look what he says to us. In chapter 5, verses 7 through 9. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the, behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he received the early and latter rain, be patient, establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. It's at hand. The judge, another phrase that's used in the New Testament, the judge is at the door. First Peter 4, 7 says, the end of all things is at hand. Be sober, vigilant, watchful in your prayers. And the New, the New Testament writers are all conveying the sense that this could happen in our life. Now think about this. Tomorrow... All of us who are believers could be enjoying heaven, and it could be that it could happen today. In fact, the church has kind of strayed from singing about this, this doctrine of the imminence, imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 2, 28, and now little, little children abide in me, in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Paul says you ought to love his appearing. Paul believed the Lord could come back at any time, so now back to our text. I think we in this group are pretty much settled that uh, this is not about the rapture of the church. So when he talks about these events upcoming, the church is absent. And uh, the tribulation will be for those who are uh, those nations that reject or forget God and those people who are unsaved when Christ comes. All those who are believers will be taken, snatched up, raptured away. And all that's left on the earth are those that have rejected the call of Christ in salvation. And then begins what we see in chapter 24. Nation rising against nation and so on. And Christ gave them some information about the beginning of sorrows. The first three and a half years of the tribulation is called the beginning of sorrows. 1,260 days, 42 months, three and a half years, uh, really is the dividing of the tribulational period. And what he's talking about in the first five through verse seven are these events that are going to occur that should signal or tip off those that are living. And there'll be Christians that come to know the Lord after the start of the tribulation. There'll be the witness of Bibles that are left. There'll be the witness of the 144,000. There'll be the witness of other good godly folks. Uh, Elijah and Moses will show up. And so there'll be this witness there and many will come to Christ and be sorely persecuted, and we'll see these, really these national and international wars that occur, and we'll see these things happening in the first three and a half years of the tribulation, and the Lord will say, now these are some of the signs you need to look for. 
uh, if, if those that are living during that time. And, and it's interesting how this chapter really is a good connector to Revelation, the book of Revelation. Let me give you some for instances of that uh, to make the connection here between the disasters and the same description of them in the book of Revelations, especially chapters 6 and 7. It's a corollary to Matthew 24. In the Revelation, there's a description. There's a desire for the Antichrist. Uh, we see it here in chapter, uh, verse 5 of chapter 24. Many shall come in my name, saying, I'm Christ. I mentioned last week that there's a hunger abroad for a leader that will just stand up and bring together the nations in a great peace treaty, and the Antichrist will be that man. We see that in Revelation 6, too. The, 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 the Antichrist appears on a white horse. Then Matthew 24, 6. There's going to be wars, rumors of wars. We see that now. It'll be only escalate during the tribulation. Revelation 6, 4, the second horseman appears on a red horse. And he takes peace from the world. Then verse 7 here, first part of verse 7, nations rising against nations. We see that as well in uh, the black horse. And uh, we see terrible famine in the whole earth. We see that here in 7a. Uh, nations will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines. That's what I'm looking for. Pestilences, earthquakes in diverse places. Revelation 6.6 6 says this. There will be a terrible famine on the earth during the tribulation. And it's going to be issued in by the rider with a, a white horse. And then here we see verse 7, the last part of it. Pestilence and earthquakes. Revelation 6.8, a rider on a pale horse brings such destruction. Now listen to this that one quarter of the earth, the earth's population, will be, will be decimated by these pestilence. We raised, in fact, we were driving yesterday back home from Florida, and we saw lots of these flags at half-mast, and I asked my wife, what, I, I missed this one. Anybody know why the flags are at half-mast? Some of you probably do. We've lost one million people in America to COVID. Now, I do believe that the number of the Earth's population now, roughly estimated, is around 8 billion people. Imagine in the tribulation, this is the first half of the tribulation, one quarter of the Earth's population dead because of the pestilences, famines that will come upon the Earth in the first half, 2 billion. Amazing. Two billion dead. There's a time coming where it will bring unparalleled, unparalleled and unprecedented destruction that the world has never, ever known. And these, the Bible say, are only the beginning of sorrows. My dear friends tonight, I, I want to tell you something. We have to take God's word of prophecy seriously because when He comes, when He comes for His bride... Our season of opportunity is over to reach our friends for Christ. And they will, as soon as there, there may be a little bit of a moment between the rapture of the church, we're not sure about this, and the start of the tribulation, but once that peace treaty is established by the Antichrist who will come to power out of those ten nations, once he establishes that peace treaty, world look out because the beginning of sorrows will begin. And this is, the Lord says, here's, here's just a, here's just a, just a little bit of what's going to happen in those three and a half years that precede the great tribulation in the last 
uh, last three and a half years, and if God doesn't stop the destruction, no flesh will be saved. And I, I wonder if you have a burden for those around you. They've got to hear about Christ and have a chance to respond before it's too late for them. The church, once it's taken out, will not have the influence again that she has now. But the Lord uh, begins this wonderful treatment of what's going to happen and answer the, the disciples' question. What's the sign of your coming? When shall the end come? And we'll study that a little further, the last three and a half years. What will happen if that happens in the first three and a half years? What will happen in the last before he comes on his white horse and with the lightning bolt of his mouth, the word of his mouth destroys all those who oppose him. Father, we thank you for this reminder from the, the very mouth and heart of God about when shall the end come? Lord, I pray that we would be faithful telling others about this great grace of God that has appeared through the person of Jesus Christ. And Lord, he offers to all of us who respond by faith, hope, and escape from such, such a terror that is to come. And Lord, you've been preparing us through the Word. You've been preparing the world, of course, through the prophets and the Word of prophecy. And Lord, help us not to hide these, the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ in our own hearts. But Lord, help us to be faithful this week to share the good news with others before it's too late. And Lord, we pray for your help in this and with this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand together with me? And we'll conclude tonight by singing a stanza of an invitation hymn. And as we sing it, all to Jesus. Well, you've got one. I appreciate your help with that and your preparedness for that. As we sing it tonight, here's my appeal. Uh, just listen carefully. If you have a friend that you know of, someone in your family that needs Christ, and you sense that this would be a great week for you to reach out yet another time, would you do this? Just step out and come and offer their name before the Lord again. I know you've done it before. Just, just offer their name. Lord, help me to be a, a witness before the season of time and opportunity closes. You come as we sing. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. 